0: Want to nail that next job interview? You're going to find out how on this edition of Private Club Radio.
1: Welcome to Private Club Radio your weekly source for industry education, news, and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Big week for the golf industry
0: as the PGA Show is right down the road from here in Orlando, Florida this week. I'm actually over there today for the Irish Golf Day Going to play with some friends that I met when I was in Belfast at the Club Leadership Summit. Well, we have an awesome show for you. Two really cool guests coming on. First, we're going to talk with Mr. Norm Spitzig of Master Club Advisors. Norm will give us a masterclass, and we're going to call this one The Art of the Interview. So if you've been maybe flopping on those uh, job interviews you're having with club boards, or you just want a little bit of a brush up, want to get a little bit better with your interview skills, we're going to talk all about that. On today's episode with Norm. We're also going to welcome Jim Butler to the show. Jim is the new CEO over at Club Benchmarking, and we had a wonderful discussion about some things happening at Club Benchmarking, some new data points that are going to be coming out here in 2018, some new research they're doing. You're definitely going to want to stick around for that one. Really good talk we had. Hey, before we bring Norm on, I do want to remind you to save the date For the 2018 National Club Conference, that's happening April 16th through the 18th at the Millennial Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles. And I'm not going to lie, I've got some inside information on some of the things that are happening, some of the people that may be attending that conference. And I will leave it at this. Be there. Period. If you want to register for that conference, head on over to nationalclub.org. And I'll see you in Los Angeles. All right. It's time for the masterclass.
1: And now it's time for your monthly masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors.
0: Welcome to another edition of Masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors. I'm here with senior partner Norm Spitzig. Norm, welcome back to Private Club Radio.
2: I'm always happy to be on Private Club Radio and especially chatting with you, Gabe.
0: Yeah. Well, I have a a subject I'd love to touch on with you today, which uh, we're going to call the art of the interview. So I'd love to use today's masterclass to talk to those folks out there searching for the right job, searching for the right new position, the right new career, and really how to master the interview process because sometimes it can be pretty scary Sometimes you go in a little overconfident, and I'm sure you've, you've seen pretty much the gamut as you've uh, been running these things, helping clubs and boards out there find the right managers and senior staff for their clubs. So, Norm, can we talk about that today?
2: Yeah, we can. It's a fantastic topic. And, and what makes it especially compelling for me this morning is that in the next 10 days, I have, uh, with two different clubs, a uh, series of interviews with the finalists for our two general manager positions. And the topic really makes me think um, exactly what are we trying to do when we're interviewing. It's, it really is an art. There's a science to it, but there really is an art to, to uh, draw out some things that you want. You know, if you look at interviewing from sort of 30,000 feet, it's nothing more than a part of the process to identify the right person for the right job. And it's a key part. It's an integral part. It's something that I really believe with finalists you must do in person. I've worked with um, one club I'm working with. Uh, Right now, they did the search on their own in the past, and they just uh, uh, used um, uh, uh, personal phone interviews. And uh, I don't think you really sense the body nuance and the look of people uh, as opposed to when they're face-to-face. So I really think that makes sense that you do that. Uh, Anyway, if you look at it from 30,000 feet, the interview is part of the process. We We obviously do lots of things to find the right person. We run background checks. We check with references. I spend a lot of time talking with people not only who were given to me as references, but people who they didn't give me uh, because I want to find out. Uh, We do personality testing. We do competency testing. We check to see if people have degrees. We check certifications to see if they're legit and applicable to the job. So we do a lot of things. But I think what separates the cream from the crop is this last personal interview with the finalist.
0: Sure. Well, I'd love to talk to you first off about the um references because I've I've actually had some people that I've I, I've hired at my business and I called the references and they either didn't answer or they didn't really say probably what the person was expecting so do you have any advice for people out there in in, in order to kind of prep the people that they're using as the references
2: yeah, I think you need to be really straightforward. Uh, let them know I'm applying for this particular job, and it's likely that someone's going to call you and ask you about the reference. Be candid, be honest, be straightforward. Would you willing to serve as a reference for me? And if the person says, uh, sure, but you detect sort of it's a half-hearted sure or a distracted sure, I'd use somebody else for a reference sure. because it takes two minutes for me to figure out that someone – Is either surprised that they're a reference for somebody or they're not really interested or they say sort of safe, politically correct things that are not going to get them in trouble. And, you know, I don't want that for reference. I want to learn from somebody what really makes this person tick. And I I get a lot of that, um, you know, more than you'd think. And Honestly, it doesn't reflect very well on the candidate if the references are mediocre.
0: Right. (laughs) It's been a long time since I needed a reference in terms of, you know, getting a job, but I use it all the time, even in my own business because clubs ask me, can I, you know, what are, what are some other clubs you've worked with and whatnot? Right. And Mm -hmm. I'll always prep. I'll always prep my folks that I'm using as a reference to tell them exactly the types of things that I would like, you know, like remember when I helped you on XYZ project, and here's the results we got. Because you have to sometimes jog their memory about the successes you've had. Not everybody remembers every little detail. So I think that's so important.
2: You know, that's really true. Yesterday, I got a phone call from a president of a club in Louisiana. And he got my name from somebody from another club where I just completed the search a year ago. And um, he said, could you send me some references? And I immediately talked to the person who was the chairman of the previous search and said, expect a call from this person. Uh, emphasized the fact that that Norm gets what it's like to live in Louisiana and a few other things, which I think will make a difference in terms of landing the search. So right. he said, sure, I'd be happy to help. But I gave him a few tidbits that I think would resonate well with the president of the new club. So right. we'll see.
0: That's perfect exactly it's a great point just researching and, and kind of having a feeling of what they're looking for is going to help and if you can have your references hit on those points I think that's so important.
2: Yeah, you know you don't want to call somebody and say uh, who you did a search in California and you have the president of a club in a small town in Louisiana saying, you know, what what's this California thing you have to do with? Right. It,
0: right? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> make,
0: yeah, makes makes sense. Yep. How about um having like certain answers to particular questions prepared. Is that something that you generally uh, would advise people do? Uh,
2: prepared in the sense that you might want to expect the question and have a reasonable answer prepared to the point where it's memorized or sounds phony is really bad. Sure. Um, it's really bad. I'll, I'll give you one. There's a couple that you, know, you jog my memory that really just kind of cracked me up almost because I've been in so many interviews, you know, sitting with the, the club boards and a lot of times people ask that question what is, tell me about your weaknesses or what's your greatest weakness, which I just think is kind of a silly question. Maybe I've heard it too often. And people will invariably say, I work too hard. And, and it just makes me cringe. And I've watched board members and makes them cringe. You must have some weakness other than the fact that you work too hard. That really cracks me up. But, um, so if that question elicits a candid response, it's okay. I actually, I think the, Questions are important, but what's more important is the nuance, the way you ask them and watching the body language, how the person answers.
0: So. Mm, that's great. Actually leads to my next question perfectly. So in terms of body language and things, what, do you, what are you seeing that people are looking for? Um, I mean, obviously, you don't want people that are kind of like fidgety and whatnot, but how should folks prepare either the way they dress or in terms of their body language for that, for that next interview?
2: Well, in the club world, again, that's sort of my forte. I certainly would never underdress. Uh, I've worked at clubs with club boards where the interviewer, interviewees, the board members, have come in flip-flops and shorts. And that's okay. It's their club. They can do that if they want. Um, literally, well, one of the clubs in, in the Bahamas that I work with, that's the way they dress, so wow. fine. <laughs> but if you're the person who's interviewing, I would... Tend to overdress there's nothing wrong with a nice tie and jacket and if they say take off your jacket and everybody else and you feel comfortable do it do it that's fine that's not the issue but you certainly want to come in i don't know look like a in shorts sleeves or um you know too casual at least in the club world i mean i think it kind of depends maybe in silicon valley it's a little different and we can talk
0: you about your silicon valley later. yeah <laughs> Where yeah hood- i
2: don't know <laughs> yeah well, we, we, we may not go there but that's right. okay
0: well, that, but, uh, you know, what I was getting at, you know, should you, you know, should you take a look at the club and kind of what their vibe is? Or should you just, do you think always kind of overdress or dress, you know, to the nines? What, what would you say? Oh, I don't know.
2: That's a, that's a really good question. I, I just think it doesn't hurt being safe in dressing. When you say to the nines, I picture somebody who's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's my age foppish. That's wrong. You don't want to overdress. You don't, you know, to have three tie pins and, you know, uh, emerald cufflinks, and you just need to dress nice professionally and look the part and yeah. if they say feel comfortable take off your jacket i'm okay with that yeah and i think the boards are too
0: right no i, I would agree with that and uh, you know i think it, you can overdress in some cases you know yeah. i think you probably you have to judge by the vibe of the club i'm guessing um but i probably yeah i think i would always go suit i don't think i'd ever go you know collared shirt kind of golf attire i don't think that really ever works
2: I, again, I, you know, I have a relatively limited range in the world of clubs and, and, and they tend to be perhaps more stodgy than the rest of the world. So right. it, again, yeah. come overdressed. You can
0: dress down. You'll be fine. Yeah, that's what my wife always says if we're going to a party, it's, like, it's it, you can always overdress. It's <laughs> that's, yeah. If you're going to err on one side, err on that side for sure. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Have I you, agree. Um, are there any questions, kind of like left field curveball questions that people should maybe start to Actually, expect or you know questions that you're hearing boards ask um, that folks aren't really prepared for that they should prepare for.
2: Yeah, let me give you some examples. Uh, I was thinking about that because I when when I go to uh, the searches that I'm working with in the next ten days, I have a list of about seven pages of questions grouped by topic that are all variations sort of 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 sort of one sort of question that you might ask about finances or membership marketing or uh, staff training or whatever, food and beverage. And you can ask these questions however you want. And uh, I think they're a good guideline. But when I was thinking about these questions, I think they really almost fall into two, two sort of general, maybe somewhat arbitrary categories. The first are what I would call standard questions, the kinds of things that you want to use if you're a board to confirm competence, to confirm maybe integrity and most importantly if you can confirm a cultural fit. I think an interview wants to do all three of those things by the way. Confirm integrity, competence, and cultural fit. But the standard questions are, you know, what are your biggest strengths? What are you going to do if you get in this position? what's your typical workday like, uh, tell me about your financial acumen, you know, tell me how you prepare budgets, all the sort of standard things that nevertheless are revealing. Uh, For instance, in the club world, I think it's really important that you understand club finances, you know how to put together a budget, you know how to not be snockered by some crazy committee member and that happens who You know, doesn't want to raise dues, so you have an artificially inflated income budget. And then at the end of the year, who suffers? Not that person. He's off playing golfer. He forgot you do because you didn't meet the budget. So you've got to be able to figure out how to deal with all those kind of standard questions. I like those. I think they're important. Um, and I think they make sense. And certainly if you're a candidate, if you're, if you're just alive, you're going to know what those type of questions are. The ones that, that kind of tell if you have a sense of humor, which is really important in the club business, that kind of tell if you, you
3: know,
2: if you can handle thinking on your feet or what I would call the quirky questions. And I like those two. You know, a quirky question might be, how lucky are you feeling? I kind (laughs) of like that. I've heard somebody actually say that. Uh Um, I've heard somebody say, how weird are you? And these are real club questions that I've heard. Um, uh, What's the company? uh, Zappos. Their, fam- their famous question that they'd say they ask all the candidates is, what's the one question I forgot to ask? Uh-huh. And what's the one thing about you that you really don't want me to know? I wish I to have somebody <laughs> ask that question.
0: Yeah, What's the
2: one thing about you you really don't want me to know? Well, one thing, I reminded me of a story a long time ago, and I won't pay the name of the club. But it was somebody who was sort of semi-famous in the club world. Um, he was a candidate for um, for this particular job. He wasn't brought there by me. He was brought there by the the um, uh, one of the guys on the board who knew him and somebody literally asked so why do you want this job Tom the name was Tom why do you want this job Tom he, he sat for a minute and said I'm out of work I need a job and what the hell it might as well be this club <laughs> <laughs> that, that is
0: really true dr- <laughs> That's when, you, that's when you start to think if they're just going on interviews just to get their unemployment check. <laughs> I, I don't
2: know what he was doing, but you you could have dropped the pin there and people were trying not to laugh. And he said it straight up and moved right on, didn't dawn on it. <laughs> so that's the one thing you don't want to say, right. even if
0: it's true. Right. So if someone asks you that Zappos question, Norm, or let's say you're asking that to somebody, what is the answer you're hoping to get back? Are you hoping to get back something that's authentic and maybe really one of their character flaws? Or are you actually looking for them to kind of put a positive spin on? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm an overachiever. Or I, I I stay late at work, and I just can't you know leave my office. What what what's the answer you'd like to hear in, to that question?
2: Well, you know, I don't think and I, I'm not avoiding what you ask. I don't think there's one answer. I think it's more important with the poise and class that you deal with the question because you've got something out of the blue, and if you just say something sort of prepared, that's probably not very good. I'd say, well, you know, I, I'd be comfortable if someone said, wow, that's the first time I ever heard that question. I <laughs> yeah. kind of have to think about that. I, we all have probably had some dark secrets and I'm not mm-hmm. sure I want to share mine with you, but I'm a pretty normal guy. I'd be okay with that. Right. Um, I just don't think there's a right answer. It's more mm-hmm. important how you deal with it.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing there, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, it sounds like you're saying that you can kind of seem overprepared at times and that's actually a turnoff.
2: I think so. I think so. Um, you know, one of the clubs I mentioned, and you know, I'm doing the search at the beach club in Santa Monica and uh, there's not a nicer classier group of people. Uh, they were a joy to work with last time. And I'm happy to be out there with them again. Um, and it, if they asked that question, I they probably wouldn't ask it because it's a little too off the wall. But they, but they would certainly be comfortable with sort of any answer you said, because they, they're more interested in sort of finding the right cultural fit. You know, at the end of the day, the perfect interview reveals the candidate. It reveals the person, you know, with all their strengths and their sense of humor. And if all these personal characteristics are what you want in your club manager, man, you had a successful interview. You really have.
0: Right. That's, that's excellent advice. Now I, I always enjoy when, when I ask the question, Hey, is there anything that you'd like to ask about uh, my company or is there anything that you need to find out when they have actually some really poignant questions to ask me back because it seems like it's just as important for that person to feel like the club is the right fit for them more so than just to get the job right
2: part of the master club advisor process that i am pretty stickly on to make sure the boards do that is that save room after your first hour of questions to allow the candidate to ask his or her questions and you know if they ask start and in, get into the minutiae, that's not good either but you certainly could, um, well, again, everybody at the upcoming interviews will have the finances of the club, they'll have a history of the club, they'll have a staff chart structure of the club, they'll know enough about the club by doing their homework and from the information that was sent to them in advance, so they can ask intelligent questions. Like, you know, I, I don't mind seeing, I see that um, you, you typically spend $80,000 on staff development, which Seems kind of high. I think that's pretty cool. Can you tell me more what goes into that? Mm-hmm. And I, I like that if you would ask that kind of question. Or I see that your food cost is seventy percent, and the typical food cost at clubs, you know, is fifty-five or something. You know, for a, a club in in Florida, maybe. Uh, are you comfortable with that number, or is it something special? Or are you, and see what the board members say. You know, the food cost at Boca West might be one hundred and ten percent. That's just the way they want it. There are other clubs. Where the food cost is thirty percent. Each one's trying to match their, you know, their club culture. So asking pointed questions that show that you actually read the information that was sent to you in advance is a real plus. Yeah. A
0: real plus. I think it makes them look really sharp for sure. And it I, does. Think, I think it's I think you've gotta know that they don't look desperate either, right? So by asking those questions where you're where the interviewee is actually feeling out the board and the and the you know the other folks at the club, I think that's just as important.
2: I think the guys at the club People on the club, I tell them this all the time, and I think they get it, but they need to be reminded. The candidate, if he or she is a good candidate, is actually interviewing them just as much as they are interviewing the candidate. Right. They really are. If you're, um, if you're a club that has a history of micromanagement or had three managers in the last five years, and that manager doesn't ask, can you tell me without getting into personalities what happened? Three managers in five years seems like a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. Tell me. More so I can understand because I'm not looking for a short term job. And if the board is uncomfortable with that, um, so be it, because they no. probably should be. Well, <laughs> you know? and, and if the, the candidate doesn't ask it, then I don't know, they strike me that they're going to take any job that's offered.
0: Right. So and the clubs know. that aren't looking for a short time job, they're actually going to appreciate that, that answer right there for sure.
2: Sure. Yeah. And they might say, look, you know, we had somebody who didn't like our weather and somebody else got sick and, you know, and they've mm-hmm. done their homework. So right. that, that, that makes the candidate, the candidate has to be given the opportunity to shine. The purpose of the interview is to let the candidate shine, but it's also let the board shine too. Yeah, I think
0: that's awesome. Any other tips that you would have uh, before we wrap things up here, Norm?
2: Well, I've been to so many of them, and I think the tip is at the end of the day, don't you said it we don't overprepare, be yourself, be comfortable i I know it takes a few minutes sometimes because you come down and you're sitting, and there might be a group of four or five or six or seven people, sometimes more interviewing you. but I'm always candidates, good candidates are used to that. If you manage a club that's member owned, you're always dealing with committees and boards that have you know seven, ten, fifteen people on, so you've got to be able to deal with it, you've got to be poised. And if you sometimes you'll say an answer and you'll think, well, that I didn't exactly say it right. Um, I've encouraged people, if you feel like your first answer didn't hit the mark, you can come back to it later on and say, you know, my first answer was was really right. But let me fine tune it a little bit because you made me think about it. People appreciate that. Just be yourself. be, Be honest. Don't don't try to being contrived or overly prepared. Really, really takes you down a lot in terms of the eyes of the board.
0: Well, I, I would think so. I think the most important thing is, is that you're authentic um, and that you're true to yourself and your own values. And if they align with the clubs, then, then you are the right fit too. So. Yeah, you said it
2: exactly right. If your values don't align with the club, even if you're out of work, I mean, you, know, you don't certainly want people to have a job if they're competent and stuff. But if your values don't align, the odds of staying at that club a long time are slim and none. They just really are. They
0: really yeah. are. That's awesome. Norm, I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us here on another edition of MasterClass. Recommend everybody check out Master Club Advisors and some of the executive searches you guys have coming up what you what you have what what do you have on the uh, plate here, Norm?
2: Well, all three searches that we have going on are sort of in the final stages and I mentioned earlier one for a club in Louisiana. Let's cross our fingers and see if that's a good one. Um, we're keeping keeping busy planning our schedule for symposiums for next year. Uh, I've got a couple of strategic plans I'm working on. So we're, we're keeping pretty busy.
0: All right. And you and I are going to be speaking up at the uh, New Jersey chapter of the CMAA and hopefully a couple others this year. So I'm looking forward to a great 2018 uh, with you, Norm.
2: Yeah, I am too. We've got, uh, well, we have a couple booked in two or three chapters who promise to get back with us in January or February. So yeah, that's, that's going to be fun here. Um, we need to kind of fine tune and polish that presentation every time. So it keeps getting better and better.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to doing it with you again. And again, once again, thanks for joining us on Masterclass. Check out masterclubadvisors.com.
2: Thanks so much.
1: To learn more about Master Club Advisors, visit them on the web at masterclubadvisors.com and join us next month for another Masterclass.
0: My guest today is Dr. Jim Butler, CCM, CCE. In early November, he joined the club benchmarking team after 17 years with Gray Oaks Country Club in Naples, Florida. Jim earned a PhD in hospitality based on seminal research in member loyalty and science behind why members join. He was the general manager and president of Gray Oaks from 2001 to 2017. Previous to that, he was the general manager at Forest Country Club. Uh, He has a lot of degrees. He may be the most educated gentleman we've had on this show. Iowa State University, he has a PhD in hospitality, Florida Gulf Coast University, an MBA in finance and real estate, Alma College, he has a BS in chemistry, and Edison State College, golf course operations and ground management degree. Jim, welcome to Private Club Radio.
3: Well, thank you very
0: much for having me today. Yeah, well, I've got to ask first, what's with all the credentials?
3: Well, I. You know, it's unusual and there are many times that I I cringe, you know, when we go through that because there's a certain amount of geekness uh, (laughs) that would go with all of that. But, you know, each of those had a purpose and a time in my career and I had worked for employers at both the forest and at Grey Oaks that allowed me to uh, expand my skill set and um, and we can go in and talk about some of those if you want to talk about those in detail. But I think the basis of that is I had a family that would support it and I had an employer that would um, support that. So, to, you know, in our business, where it's such a comprehensive business um, to understand the golf course and to understand the real estate and development. And then to understand hospitality, I, I think all of those degrees apply on a daily basis to what I do.
0: Yeah, you even have a turf grass degree. You're our PGA member, GCSAA member. Lots of stuff going on there. That's amazing. Of all those, what are you the most proud of?
3: Oh boy, I am uh, probably the most proud of the of the PhD because that was a world that I had never been exposed to from a research standpoint. And you know, I had gone to Alma and uh, I had. I'd gone to Florida Gulf Coast University. Neither one of those are research universities. So Iowa State is a research university, and I never really understood uh, what that meant um, as far as research and writing and that whole academic world, and that's opened up a whole uh, a whole new world to me. Interesting enough, the out of those education degrees, the one that took me the longest to get and might be the most interesting one was the turf grass degree? Yeah, you know, which is a two, which is a two-year degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I originally went to, went back to school because our superintendent had left, and I um, didn't really know the superintendents uh, in the country or in the local market, so I decided to take a class, which was the first class that I took there was uh, chemistry of soils, and I thought, you know, I would breeze through that because obviously with my chemistry background, and I got in the class, and the first guy that was there was a company called Istric, which is International Sports Turf Research, Mm -hmm. and the CEO of that company was in the class there on the first day and talking about the physical characteristics of the soil and why we should be aerating or why we shouldn't be aerating, and um, I engaged. It took me six years to get that. So I went to school for six years to get a two-year degree and just to frame that I got my PhD in four years. So my two-year degree was much harder because my kids were younger. But um, I also got a lot out of that going to class every, every, you know, every Monday for, for six years.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, I bet it was. You're like a super, super senior at that point. Um, right.
3: Well, it, you know, it was it was good because I got with a two year degree, I got to go through three changes of the students. Right. And as a general manager in the super, superintendent world, initially, I would tell you that it I was kind of the outsider in that group. But by the time that I graduated, um, it really it really opened an incredible opportunity for me to get to know those young men and women that now run the majority of the courses in the South Florida market.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Um, I'd love to talk to you actually about your research on member loyalty. Can you take us through some of the highlights of that PhD research you conducted?
3: Yeah. we started, uh, I started doing research and you pick a topic, right? When you go into the university system and do your dissertation or your thesis and it's based on, prior research. So I originally started um, thinking that I was going to do my research on satisfaction and my major professor, who's kind of like your boss when you get your PhD, what they they kind of lead you through the program, she had asked me um, why people had joined clubs. And I thought I knew why people had joined clubs and I looked for prior research or even industry insights into that and i couldn't find anything so we started to go down a path where we started looking into the motivation of why people join and we developed uh, actually a system um that is now part of another prior guest that he had which is called golf life navigators and they're using that research to help match people up to uh, clubs. And Jason Becker, who, who you know. And from there, the other things that we looked at in the club industry was value, how me- how members measure value. And we, you know, generally, historically, the value equation is about benefits and about dollars. But what we found in our research was that there were other things such as emotion or how people behave or quality or reputation that people frame value at. And then we went into attachment about why do members uh, attach to their clubs and what are the elements of attachment that that are really important. And what we created was we actually created a model that predicts loyalty. Um, it wasn't what I set out to do, but it was one that we were able to put together and get a predictive model. Um, And it's so important in the club industry because as you know, uh, you have a natural attrition and then you have attrition with people leaving for reasons. And if you can predict that loyalty, maybe you can cut off some of the reasons why uh, people are leaving the club. And then obviously you can really understand loyalty. There's a, in the world today, you have this net promoters for, and that's really a version of loyalty. Of why people stay or why people use the product. What are some of
0: the key data points when you're when you're making that model, Jim?
3: Well, you know it's, it's funny because we started with satisfaction, right? And the premise was in the club industry we do all sorts of satisfaction studies, right? But when you look at satisfaction, you can have members that are satisfied and are not loyal. -hmm. And you can have dissatisfied members that are extremely loyal. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that some of our members that are dissatisfied that are loyal are some of the best members because they allow us the opportunity to improve our services. Our members that are silent about our opportunity to improve um, are some of the what I would suggest are not the greatest members because you never have an opportunity to satisfy them, and not everybody will will give you that feedback. So I started with, and I think our industry did, with the premise that satisfied members are loyal members, and what we found was that just was not true. That's true in some instances, but not in the majority of instances, and that it's a little more complicated than that. And that led us to developing the motivation, the value, the service quality and the attachment in that. The key data point that came out of that research, and I think there I, I think is that attachment or how the members attach in the club is the link between satisfaction and loyalty. And and what that means is that they need to attach to the other members, they need to attach to the staff members, they need to attach to the amenities of the club. And if you can Join that together by meeting the motivation. Everybody has a different motivation for joining a club, but if you can find out what that motivation is and set them up and provide them great value, satisfy them, and then connect with them, you'll have a you'll have a loyal member. Historically, you know, as an industry, we thought if you have a satisfied member, you have a loyal member, but that that's really isn't true.
0: Yeah. It kind of makes sense, though, when you think about it, I guess, uh, because, you know, the people that complain are the ones that see a difference. And, you know, if there's companies that, you know, I I engage with and they do something that I don't like right off the bat, I don't even bother because I'm not attached to them. I don't even bother to tell them I just move on to the next company. So it actually makes a lot
3: of sense. That's 100. Yeah, that's 100 percent right.
0: Yeah. So... Let's talk about your tenure at Gray Oaks. You were there, again, since 2001. You spent a long time there. I'd um, we'll love to talk to you about some of the highlights of, of, of becoming president and general manager at Gray Oaks.
3: Yeah, Gray, Gray Oaks was a, uh, I, had, I had a tremendous experience at Gray Oaks. Gray Oaks is one of the great residential developments and communities uh, in the world, and I mean that sincerely. So we just finished um doing 22 projects in 22 months so i i would say groups is the poster child for what's going on in the in the country club world as far as adding casual dining and fitness renovating the golf courses adding uh, pickleball and bocce ball renovation of the of the kitchens adding a teaching facility and renovating all the clubhouses there so that was that was incredible to go to go through that. Um, Agriex, we also had the opportunity to grow that membership. So when I started there in 2001, uh, through 2000, you know, through the end of this year, we I saw a couple economic cycles. Right, we saw the kind of the collapse of the club industry. Uh, in the 2008 through 2010, we uh, we were able to uh, get to manage our way through that at Oaks and quote and grow the company um, and sell out the community, and it, it was really an incredible uh, experience because it allowed me the opportunity to to run a large club with lots of members and lots of employees, and to be able to express my Skill set there, and develop a team that we were able to accomplish incredible things there together.
0: Yeah. If you had one piece of advice for a young general manager or someone just starting off their career, what would it be?
3: Well, I would. One piece of advice would be: you have to be visible. Um, and I think the I, I think as part of uh, put others first um, in a leadership position. I'm of a mentality that if you're in it for the right reasons and you're a caregiver and you can put the needs of other people in front of your own needs, that you'll you'll receive the benefit of that ten times over and people will um, will help you accomplish whatever your goals are. If you're if you're in the industry um, for yourself, you will have a hard time um, getting to the point that that you want to be because you you know the club industry is a relationship based industry and you, and you 're going to work a lot of hours and you got to be in it for the right reasons, which is taking care of people
0: well said Jim well said well let 's move on to club benchmarking in the next chapter in your career here. Why did you choose club benchmarking as your next
3: step? Well, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a one-way uh, choice. I certainly had to get Ray and Russ. Um, and, you know, as you know, Ray Grunin and Russ Candy are the founders of Club Benchmarking. And when I, I saw them, you know, probably late 2000s, and I saw one of their presentations. And it was very obvious to me that they had a degree of knowledge and insight into the club world. That was much deeper than I had. and that was very disturbing to me in a lot of ways, because you know, here I am a industry expert running the clubs for thirty years. and here are these two guys that had not been involved in the club industry that created this uh, data analytics company and listening to one of their uh, presentations or webinars, I was just blown away with, how smart they were, how knowledgeable they were, and what insight they had. And so over a period of a couple of years, I got to know them. And once I got to know them, they're even better guys than they are business uh, people. But they created something really substantial in our industry in many ways, um, changed our industry. I was a general manager that we um, couldn't frame my business to my board because I didn't have the data or the metrics to frame that. So, for example, if somebody said to me, um, "You know, Jim, it seems to me like we had too many people uh, working," you know, I had no response to that. And through club benchmarking, I found that I could respond to that by saying, "Hey, you know what? My payroll revenue ratio is fifty-six percent." And the industry standard is 56% with over a 1,000 clubs reporting. So let's talk a little bit deeper about what, why you think that we have too many people because the data doesn't seem to indicate that. And that's just one example of of 100 that they provided me with. So as I was uh, starting and finishing my phd we talked for months about the future opportunities of the company and and could i add something to the company as a manager um, to enhance the already terrific offerings that club benchmarking had in the market
0: Mm. and one of those things actually you have some new services coming up here and that you're rolling out one of them comes right from your research which is your member loyalty surveys can you talk a little bit about those jim
3: you yeah, know the um what we'd like to do is from a survey and a research situation that um we're one of the few companies that has actually engaged in surveys other than satisfaction. The club industry has predominantly done satisfaction surveys, and those are those are great I did them for you know every year that I was at. Great, great we did satisfaction surveys but we're also offering a motivation survey and I would tell people that one of the things you want to know in your business is why do people join your club so we have information that we can do um, why people join the clubs from both an internal and external reason. Value is very important so there's I believe we have the only value survey available in the club business and we also have the attachment and the loyalty so we can offer that survey either collectively or in individual parts as each individual part is important in the club we're also doing employee engagement surveys you know as a third party provider i think we all want to create tremendous opportunities for our staff to be an employer of choice so to have a partner in the industry to provide those that can benchmark that against other hospitality companies is important as we uh, go into that, which is our employment engagement surveys.
0: Yeah, and that one you developed while you were at Gray Oaks, I think, right? Basically. I did, uh, yeah,
3: we did. We did. We had a terrific uh, HR person at Gray Oaks named Leslie Velasquez, And we did some research on that, used some of the SHRM information, which is uh the Human Resource Department information and create a survey just for both management and for hourly staff in the, in the club business.
0: That's been a theme on this show the last few weeks is a lot of people are talking about we're so often very member focused, which makes sense because <laughs> we're in the member business, but it's just as important to really nurture that team. And so I'd be interested to see some of the research that comes out of those surveys for sure. Uh,
3: yeah, one of the interesting one of the interesting parts I'm on that we found in the attachment, which was kind of surprising to me, was that the member staff relationship was more important to the members that joined the clubs, and this is nationally, not just at Grey Oaks, than the member member interaction. So you can you can take that forward to say if your staff members are not happy that that relationship with the member won't be as strong as it needs to be
0: yep you're right you're right about that it, it all one ecosystem we got to make sure we keep everybody inside of there That's very well said jim last thing i want to ask you about is just what do you want to accomplish in this next chapter with club benchmarking what are your goals here jim yeah
3: our goals at uh club Benchmarking is to continue, you know, the great work of Ray and Russ, and we're going to see if we can touch more, uh, clubs. You know, our mission is to really collect as much data and provide as much insight, um, to the industry that we can in order to help managers and boards, uh, run their clubs, uh, better and, and help them be successful as they go forward. That is our, our mission, and we're going to accomplish that by providing them information, and I think I can help um, communicate to our team here about some of the needs, and such as that survey that we talked about. We're going to get into the compensation and benefit platform where to really understand, because we believe that the employees are such an important part of, our, of the club business. We also just recently... Uh, bought a company for capital reserve studies. Uh, we think that's really important to the financial health of the club. And we're going to get into the real estate data also as, uh, as and try to answer the question, what is the value of the clubs to the surrounding real estate in their communities? So there's there's a whole bunch of exciting things that we have coming forward, all based on the fact of trying to help people and boards uh, do a better job for their clubs.
0: that's extremely exciting, so I guess you won't be we won't be finding you on a tropical island sipping uh, cocktails <laughs> time soon, Jim.
3: <laughs> Not anytime soon uh, yes, yeah, so, the yeah, uh, the days go by fast as, as I think they do for all of us we're all we're all busy, right? We're all you know in today's world uh, we're all we're all busy, but it's a really exciting time. For club benchmarking—it's really exciting thing for me and my family. Uh, personally, we're kind of going backwards, right? Most people live up north and then move uh, move into the Florida market. We have been in the Florida market for a long time, and I'm going to split my time up in Boston um, and run the company out of uh, Boston. We're going to open some regional branches and and we'll open a Naples branch uh, immediately. I don't have to convince uh, my team here at Club Benchmarking that that's a great idea for us, especially in the wintertime, to have a place in Naples to go. So sure. it's really not only exciting for us, but I think for the, for the industry also as we really try to help and advance the industry forward.
0: Yeah, you're like a reverse snowbird.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. That's exactly right. I'm a winter bird, I guess. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's true. You guys really are on the cutting edge at Club Benchmarking. And if folks want to find out more about Club Benchmarking, obviously, the the website is clubbenchmarking.com. So definitely recommend that you check that out and get involved in what they're doing over there. Some of the fantastic research that's taking place. Jim, thank you so much for joining me on Private Club Radio.
3: Oh, thank you very much for having me. I look forward to talking to you again.
0: Awesome guy, that Jim Butler. Really fun, enjoying talking to him and Norm this week. I'm off to Mexico City. I'm going to check out these pyramids in Teotihuacan. And I'm going to catch a concert, one of my favorite bands, The National, which I got to see when I was in Pittsburgh speaking to the CMAA. That was the first time I ever got to see them. And I get to see them again with my wife this time, which will be a lot of fun. So... Hope you enjoy your week. If you're at the PGA show in Orlando, stay warm and enjoy because it's a cold winter everywhere else in the country right now. It seems I'll catch you back here next week until then. Here's to your membership success.
1: Private club radio is brought to you by concert golf partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.